Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Bill Lane. Welcome back to More Than a Club podcast for episode six of season two. I'm your host, Bill Leahy, along with Coach Marty Cuprian, and we are thrilled to be back with all of our listeners today as we continue our second season. I think we have a very entertaining show lined up, highlighted by another very impressive and entertaining guest. How about you, Coach Coop? Thanks a lot, Bill. I'm fired up as usual. Uh, today we have another amazing guest. I'm grateful this guest was able to join us in the office. Uh, we just shared some laughs and uh, reconnected. Uh, I was lucky enough to work with Coach Doc when I was in high school, um, but we'll introduce him today as well, one of the greatest to ever play lacrosse. And uh, Brian, Doc, thanks for joining us. No problem, guys, man. Really excited to be here. It's a really long uh, six-minute commute to, uh, <laughs> to the office today, but appreciate it and looking forward to spending some time with you guys. That's we're going to rattle off for our listeners, uh, all your humble awards, Coach. So oh here boy. we roll. High school, All-American, how many times? Uh, twice. NCAA, All-American? Uh, twice. Goal of the year, 95 and 96. And then the Kelly Award. For Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the Kelly Markman Award? Uh, the, the, so that's the goal of the year in Division One. So I won that with my junior and senior year. And then I, um, I think I was MVP of the Final Four of my junior year on a losing team, which is, I think, only been done twice in the history. Um, and I was also North-South MVP that year, too. In the pros, MLL, all over the place, right? Championship with the Philadelphia Bar- Barrage. And the Lizards of Long Island? Yeah, 2003 with Long Island, 2006, 2007 with the Barrage, and then was also goal of the year for those three three years as well. And then where does the Rochester Rattlers fall in? Uh, those are my first two years. So the league started in 2001, 2002, I believe, uh, were the first two years. And I was originally with the Rattlers with a great crew. We had Ryan Powell, John Grant Jr., Jake Berge. Um, then got traded to Long Island in 2003 for – um, it was me, Connor Denahan, and Chris Searcy yeah. for Casey Powell and Brian Carcaterra. So there's wow. your boy. Got traded for Casey Powell. So at the end of the day, I was a little disappointed I got traded. But then I'm like, you know, I just got traded for basically <laughs> the best player in the world. So, you know, it didn't make, didn't make me feel that bad. So my total says three MML championship? Yep, three MML championships, three for nine. Wow. So and 30, 33%. And then numerous all-star games. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were in the All-Star game almost every year. Um, back then, you know, the first couple All-Star games were awesome. Um, after that, it got a little tiresome. I, I really wanted the week off, so there were some years that I probably made it, but then told them I didn't really want to play that week, <laughs> so um, they took somebody else. So, But, yeah, I think the greatest game I ever played was a half um, of the first All-Star game ever, 2001, um, in a 24-2. 21 game I gave up three goals and had 24 saves and a half um and this is there's no long poles back then so I had I had like John Grant Jr. playing defense (laughs) you know Ryan Powell playing defense against Gary Gate AJ Hoog and all those guys so look it up 2001 all-star game second half gonna find it noted all right internationally two USA teams 98 and 2010 yep so 1998 was um you know Part of, I think, the greatest game ever played was USA versus Canada. In my opinion, the championship, we were up by like 10 or 11 goals going into like midway through the third quarter. And then Gary Gate, Paul Gate, John Grant, and Marichek did things in the in the next 30 minutes that I'd never seen before. And they scored like nine in a row to tie it, put it in overtime. And then um, 
you know, we were getting killed on faceoffs. Ryan Wade came up huge facing off and scoring and ended up winning in overtime. Bill Miller yeah. was on that team as well, good Philly guy. And then 2010 was awesome as well. You know, that was the last game of my career. I was 36 years old and uh, kind of retired with bringing the, the gold medal back to USA. They had, we had recently lost it in 2006. Hell yeah. Um, at Canada. So it was a big goal of ours to kind of, you know, go at it. We were the underdogs for the first time ever. Um, and beat Canada in an awesome game. I think it was 12 to 10. And retired, went to Ireland and wore my gold medal around my neck and, <laughs> and drank and day drank at bars in Ireland. So oh, that's amazing. Well, with all of our USA guests, and I've noted this for myself as well, there's no feeling like putting that jersey on. Absolutely not. Like every cool game, like played in four state state championships in high school, national championship, north south games, yada yada yada. Is you know there is nothing like representing your country and just putting on a jersey and looking at yourself in the locker room and in, in the mirror and having like USA on it, and you know it just makes you feel really proud that of all the players in, in our whole country. Like I'm one of the 23 guys that gets to represent our country. And all these amazing accolades lead us to the U.S. Lacrosse Hall of Fame 2012. Coach, that is amazing. Yeah. Thank so, you. Where were you that day, and how did they break the news to you? And what does it mean to you today to be in the U.S. Lacrosse Hall of Fame as one of the best players ever? Yeah, it was kind of surreal back then, you know, um, 2012, I guess it was. So I had just finished playing. 2010 was my last game. So, you know, you don't get a chance right now. It's, you know, 2020, 10 years afterwards, you get a chance to sit back and reflect. Um, but, you know, it was down in Maryland. It was amazing. I had my parents, I had my dad introduce me, which was great. Um, I went in with Jesse Hubbard, Roy Colesley, um, Kelly Amante, who I was – basically a freshman with at Maryland. So we, we went way back. Jen Adams, another Maryland girl. So the class was great. The the ceremony was awesome. And, you know, I'm in the Hall of Fame. So <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And then you moved on to coaching, which I know Coach Coopy wanted to ask him about. Yeah, I was lucky to work with Brian for a couple of years when I was at Episcopal. Um, I know that you had collegiate stops at UPenn, Haverford College, uh, I know you worked with the Philadelphia Barrage uh, in the return uh, to Philadelphia recently. Also, Chestnut Hill College and, and really now Springside Chestnut Hill Academy and that program in the Interac. Did we miss any coaching stops? Um, yeah, right out, of, right out of college, I coached at McDonough. Wow. Um, with arguably one of the greatest staffs ever. We had uh, Jake Reed was the head coach. Yeah. Um, we had Booker Corrigan. Dave Marr and myself, and um, it was literally my first year out. I was like, uh, you know, 23 years old. That's incredible. And living in Towson, and then we had a great team too. We had, uh, you know, I think we had like 11 Division One guys. That was before people started like throwing 20 Division One guys on a team. You know, like this, you know, made it to I think the semifinals or something like that in the MIA, oh. and then uh, moved back up, did did the Episcopal thing, and then got into Haverford College. I like to say I've been all over the place, you know, high school, Philadelphia, Maryland, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. So I feel like I have a good understanding of kind of how everything works in, in lacrosse. So I'm grateful too, you know, like I got a chance to coach a lot of great kids. And Coach Lady here was at the same spot for like 49 years, you know what <laughs> I mean? So I, I didn't really have that luxury. I got a chance to kind of bop back and forth through Division. So you, you see different kids, you know, the Division Two kids is much different than a 
Division One kid than a Division Three kid. So, yeah. And then you got the high school kids that you're starting to find out is it's a treat as well. You know. Well, I would say we're grateful uh, to you for a wonderful career. Um, uh, it's fun to just to hear you remember the exact names of who's in the trade, who you got inducted to the Hall of Fame with, um, and to know that that's how your brain works and uh, means a lot to you. So. Um, pretty cool, and I think you represented Philadelphia lacrosse extremely well, and you continue to. Our first segment in the show is usually for parents. Okay. And so we want to talk a little bit about you and your dad. So maybe you could tell our listeners about your dad as a coach, and um, he was a Hall of Fame coach, basketball coach at Episcopal, yeah, right? Yeah, so like we just read off all my accolades. My, my dad's uh, coaching accolades are probably that times about 10. So Back in the day, every time I thought I'd, I was pretty cool, I would just all of a sudden, you know, look at his stuff and I'd be like, well, I'm really not that cool. Um, so, you know, it was great with, with my dad. He's, you know, coached at um, Villanova, lost the national championship to one of John Wooden's teams as the assistant coach um, during their run. He was the head coach at Army after Bob Knight and before Mike Krzyzewski, which is an amazing trivia question for you guys, that, that Mike Krzyzewski actually moved into my house. Um, at Army, he got Mike Krzyzewski out of uh, the Vietnam War. <laughs> um, Coach Fran Dunphy is a disciple of his, um, you know, the, the longtime Temple and Penn guy. Just so his his legacy for, I guess, 60 years has been unbelievable. So my relationship with him has grown, um, like most parents do, you know, kids' relationship. At first, it was tough to play for your dad, you know, like everything I did was magnified by about 5,000% so he could make sure that he wasn't, you know, people weren't like, well, he just lets his kid do whatever he wants, you know? So whatever I did wrong, it was just, you know, and when you're 16, 17, 18, that's, you don't really understand that. He was even harder on you? Yeah, he was way harder, way obviously, harder. you know? Yeah. Like, you're, yeah, I don't want to hear that. Why is he yeah. playing, you know? Like, every time he messes up, you know, I'm going to give it to him. So yeah. that was hard to deal with, you know? Sometimes we would drive home from practice and, like we wouldn't speak to, to each other for like three days, you know, because he was giving it to me <laughs> something. And then I would, you know, I'd feel bad for a while. Then I'd get my stubborn Irishman on and be like, you know what? I'm not talking to you either, you know? Like, <laughs> and that would go on until my mom was like, I can't take it anymore, you know, like dinner. So we would drive to school together. Um, he taught me in math class, which was, I got an A, just so everybody knows. Um, <laughs> must have earned it. Must have earned it. I definitely did. And then we had practice together, and then we would ride home together. An awful have, lot of time. And then we'd have dinner together, and there was, there was, like, weeks where we wouldn't say a word to each other, you know? So, again, nothing bitter. It, it, it was just – it was tough, you know? Like, it was tough on me. I, you know, I didn't feel like at that time. But now that I'm a, a grown-up, you know, 47 years old with kids of my own, I, I, I'm thankful for, for all that that he did, you know? So – Really, you know, that's that's what they say, right? Like you don't really get it as a kid, and, and then at the end of the day, we're all going to end up being like our fathers at the end, at the end of the time. So, um, it was a great experience. He's a role model of mine. Um, everything I do, you know, I got a chance to kind of sit back and watch the best basketball coach in the, in, I would say, the world, arguably up there, and you know, ever since I was three, you know, I'll go to Episcopal kindergarten. Be done at three o'clock. I'd walk over to the gym and I'd stay at the gym till seven o'clock, watching the master basically just do his thing until I was old enough to play. And then I would kind of do it myself. So 
it was great. It was a great experience. It was tough at the time, but reflecting on it all, it's really made me kind of who I am today. So I totally call you a coach's kid. LaSalle was scouting reports, we'd always say, that's a coach's kid. And for me, that meant his IQ is a little bit further ahead. Of Off the charts, else. yeah. So Off would you agree chart. with that? Or do you see a coach's kid being something defined differently in your eyes? No, I 100% agree with you. A coach's kid is the kid that, you know, just sees it three plays ahead, um, understands that I'm going to cut the middle and it's probably not going to lead to my goal but it's going to suck everybody out there that's going to lead to somebody else's goal. That's because you were breaking down film with that at seven. I was just watching. <laughs> I would go home. You know, we didn't have a ton of film back then. That was the VHS days. But, I mean, he just had notebooks, just notebooks of plays. And, you know, we'd finish dinner at night. He'd sit there and do his thing, and he'd have notebooks of out-of-bounds plays. And, all right, let's try this offense. And all of a sudden, the next day, you know, we're running this offense, and it's like, do 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 layup. <laughs> and it's like, how do you do that? You know, like, how do you, I don't know. Like, it's, it's one thing to design something for a shot, but we got layups all the time, like full-fledged, like backdoor layups before, you know, the guy, Petey Carrillo was doing it. We were doing it before all that. So yeah, coach's kid to me is a kid that just gets it. That's, that's seen it. That has, you know, been watching practices his whole life and just understands the game. So would you say there's one or two, traits of your father like when you watch a Chestnut Hill College or a high school game and you see yourself on the sideline you're like oh my gosh I do these three things just like my dad <laughs> it's kind of funny. or not or it's not. kind of funny because I'm the exact opposite of my dad right my dad was a disciplinarian my dad you know put the fear of God into people because if you did, you just didn't want to let him down you know I'm more happy-go-lucky I'm playing music during practices right I want to go out there and have fun. A kid scores a goal, I'm going to be the first one out there chest bumping him, right, or doing some cool handshake. That stuff would <laughs> drive my dad crazy, you know? Like, so, in a sense, I, I don't really coach like him at all, but I have all of his characteristics, you know? Like, I was always – and that's just me. I, I feel like you like you can't pick which way you want to coach. You, you are who you are, and if you try to fake it, kids see right through that right so if I try to be a, a hard guy and a disciplinarian yeah. that's just not me you know and I can't fake that um he was great at it you know and I always kind of be like you know why you always got to make things so not fun and he could be pretty soft and sweet though right I was yeah at the end you know like he would he would he would hug you he would be the first one to go out there and 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 do all that so like you know but in general he he you made it he made it so somehow and again if I knew this I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys right now I'd be <laughs> a billionaire down on an island somewhere, but he got kids to just never want to mess up, mm -hmm. right? He wanted them. A kid felt so bad if if they did something wrong. They ran the wrong play, made the bad pass, made the wrong decision, because that's what he did. In, in essence, I coached like him a little bit to where I'm a big believer in just repetition, repetition, doing my drills. I'm running my offense, but I'm doing the drills that I'm running, mirroring that offense. So if we're gonna run a mumbo. Well, then that shooting drill all week is a mumbo throwing it across to that guy popping out, you know? So that's what I – like, he, he just did it so many, so many, yeah. so many, so many times. Like, this is what we're doing, you know? And it ended up working. And, you know, that's – to me, that, I coach like that a little bit, but my personality, I would say, is <laughs> direct opposite of his. I'm sure he became your greatest fan. Do you guys have a special memory together as your career closed or along the journey? Yeah, I mean, he, he was at every everything that I ever went to. So he was at every game. He came to uh, England in 2010, you know, watch, watch the uh, 
the World Games. We got a chance to go to Ireland together after that. Um, you know, so there's not one giant memory that, that really sticks out. I just, I always remember him being there. And he never, you know, he was a great parent. He would sit up in the corner. You know, at the end of the game, he wasn't, what are you doing? You know, you sucked or you did this or, you know, he was just there and he was supportive. And I think as a kid, I always, you know, I, I appreciated that he was there all the time. The next phase that I showed moved to X and O is one of my favorite parts because we can just talk lacrosse coach. Hold, yeah, hold me back it. here, right? We've had lots of uh, guests on the talk offense and talk defense, and, um, and this part's usually for our coaches. So we haven't had a goalie yet. You're our first guy. Woo. So we're thrilled. I know we have a bunch of questions for you. Yeah, the GOAT. Uh, just tell us how you got started playing goalie. Great story. So every, every – <laughs> it was uh, – so this was 19. I was a seventh grader. So what's that make you, like 13? This is probably like 1986. And lacrosse, as you know it, is totally different in 1986. There's, there's only, there's no clubs. There's only township lacrosse, right? So Springfield had a team. Um, Rose Tree Media had a team. We were the Ashby Lacrosse Club, right, with Uncle Norm. So my best friend, and baseball was my best sport growing up. And I was a, you know, my, my brother played pro football. My other brother played um, Division Three basketball. Wow. You know, my dad was a great coach. I, I would consider myself a pretty good athlete growing up, and baseball was by far my best sport. But like most guys, I realized in about sixth, seventh, and eighth grade that baseball is just not fun. You know, I was just sick of sitting out there and doing all that. So my best friend at the time, living in Andorra, which is Philadelphia, was this dude, Matt Donnelly. I'd sleep over his house twice a week. His dad was a big Penn Charter lacrosse guy. His older brother was the goalie at Penn Charter that ended up going to Navy. So I would go down and kind of watch his games and stuff. And we would play mess around and play one-on-one -on -one lacrosse in the front, front yard all the time. So in seventh grade, he teach, you know, he's like, come on out for lacrosse. And I'm like, I've never played a, a, you know, a structured game of lacrosse before in my life. So I'm like, all right, I try out as an attackman. Boom, immediately get cut to the B team. I'm like, all right, sweet. I got, you know, I made the B team. Let's see what happens. And then, um, you know, funny thing is we show up the first day and the coach is like, all right, guys, you know, you all made the B team. I got some good news and bad news. You know, we, we don't have a goalie. So if one of you guys doesn't step up and try to play goalie, then we're not going to have a season. <laughs> so literally it was like one of those things where everybody stepped, like, took a step back and I was like the only <laughs> one there. But, you know, I felt like I was, you know, I love playing street hockey goalie. I was one-on-one -on -one in the backyard. I was, you You're know, I was there and I watched the Donleys, you know, and Mr. Donnelly was a goalie. So I was like, you know, what? I'll try it. And it was literally like, it was a weird thing, man. It was like within three or four weeks, I was just better than everybody else, you know, like without tooting my own horn or maybe I am or whatever. But it was just, I just got really good at it really fast and, at the end of the year, our team that we all got cut from, the B team, beat the A team in the playoffs three to two. And I think I had 68 saves. And that team had like, <laughs> um, we had Matt Oglesby was on our team. We had Jeff McBean was on our team. Um, Dave Stilley was on the A team. So there was like a lot of who's who guys there. And, and then, it, you know, everything kind of just went off from there. Then I started playing baseball and lacrosse for a while. Um, and then ninth grade comes and it's, what are you going to do? You're going to play baseball. You're going to play lacrosse. And I was just like, I'm going to play lacrosse. And, um, 
you know, ended up playing and starting that year and leading our team to the state championship game. Um, and then I guess the rest is history. That's amazing. When did you get real instruction? Was it the Donnelly's? Uh, they would always help me as far as like how to hold my stick. But I really feel like what made me kind of unique was that I kind of figured it out my own style. And I took that style to where I would think back then, and this is again, 1986 to 1992, not a lot of great athletes were playing goalie, yeah. right? And I was the point guard in the football team. I was the middle linebacker and the quarterback on the, on the football, you know, or point guard in the basketball team, middle linebacker in the football team. You know, like I was a good athlete. So I was able to kind of figure out and, and be an athlete in the goal. And I don't think people were ready for that. You know, like back then it was like whoever was the fattest kid, right? They just threw him in goal to take it's up tough. the most space. And now all of a sudden, plus, I think I was left-handed, which really threw a lot of people off. I don't think back then a lot of people were used to shooting on left-handed goalies. So um, I feel like I created my own style. We'll kind of get into that yeah. later on where I, where I figured that, you know, I just started baiting people. I'm like, well, to me, the hardest thing was not knowing where they're going to shoot. And then all of a sudden I had the bright idea, well, if I just line up here, you're going to have to shoot over there. But then I know that you know that I you know, then then we got <laughs> double into, reverse psychology then we got into this great game of and that's all you know as I got older and started mastering it that's what I wanted to do I wanted people to think so as a shooter right the worst thing you can do is think yeah. right you just want to catch it and rip it right and you know switch your planes and high to low and low to high and all the stuff that you teach every all, all the next kids I'm sure um but you know for me I had I'm going to line up here with the last time I shot it here and he was all over it. And then all of a sudden he's here, you know, and then I would move right before you shot because I left the area of goal open on purpose. Yep. So I knew where it was going. Jedi mind tricks. Yoda, young Yoda. What I love about your, your career and your style isn't necessarily all the things you just mentioned, which are surely true. It's also that you had like this, a, a Philly competitive edge to you you want to talk a little bit about the smack talking and then what comes across is i'm a competitor let's go get after me shooters and get after me opponents because i'm gonna have too much fun with this <laughs> i definitely had a chip on my shoulder because um for me uh, you know i grew up literally in philadelphia i was one of two kids in the city of philadelphia back then that played lacrosse like literally everybody else is from you know i got on a bus one time with a goalie stick a septa bus and the guy asked me if, where i was going fishing at um <laughs> You know, that's how bad it was. And it, it got to the point to where um, not only did I have a chip because, hey, I was playing goalie and all these guys were shooting the ball at me, hitting me all the time and not really caring. Then I started to be like, you know what? I'm just going to start catching your shots and then I'm going to start taunting you. All right. <laughs> because I don't care about you. Um, you know, and then the real chip, though, came from the lack of respect from Philadelphia back then. I mean, I feel like. Guys that were a little ahead of me, like Bill Miller and Gabby Rowe, and those guys really put Philly on the map. But I really think it was like guys like myself, Dave Stilley, Greg Trainer, Matt Oglesby, that went on to these schools and became All-Americans and ACC Players of the Year. And, you know, like we really kind of put Philly on the map. Like at, at the end of it, like we used to have this thing called PA Pride. We'd be like, PA Pride, baby. And that was like, you know, we would go to these – um, North-South tryouts, you know what I mean? And there's literally us four, Buzza is another great guy. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, that, those were all within one or two years of me. So, 
that's where the kind of chip came from. It was always like Philly, you know, Philly lacrosse is gross. And I'm like, oh, yeah? You know, I'm going to catch your shot. I'm going to punt it up into the stands, <laughs> right? And I'm going to tell you how bad you are. Um, yeah. You know, and then I had some uh, – developed into some good ones to where it just became a mental thing. And, you know, I didn't do it a ton in college. It was more in the pros. But it became like a mental thing to where, you know, as the ball would go down the other end, and be like, dude, you've been working out all year? You know, like, like I haven't done anything. Like, I haven't worked out in the last 10 years. And I just – like – that shot was pathetic. It wouldn't even get a ticket on 95. You know what I mean? It was like 48 miles an hour. Start having some fun. And then, you know, shut up. You know, you're fat. You know, and then, you know, now the game's on. And now you're thinking of everything else except yeah. basically what you're supposed to do. So I had a little fun with that. And it was always fun. Every once in a while, it got a little personal with, with one or two individuals. But everybody else was, was, was pretty fun. So if we get into the art of goaltending, on the one hand, Coach Leahy starts thinking about, you know, all the different requirements to be a good goalie. You've got to be mentally tough, physically tough, the, the art of saving the ball. Like, you have to have a very good skill set of the different types of saves. And then we can go into communicating and the different angles of different shooters and, and then knowing defenses. But then on the other hand, I say, keep it simple and your job is to save the ball. Talk to me. It's tough, man. So, you know, when I was doing all this and, and teaching all my guys, it, you know, I broke it down into basically five compartments. And I'm going to start by saying – Playing lacrosse goalie is the second hardest position in all sports, besides being a quarterback in football, to where you have to read blitzes and you have dudes 290 pounds coming at you, flying at you. Lacrosse, when it comes down to, okay, saving the ball, that's obviously our number one job. Then there's positioning, right, how I'm lining up in there. Then there's communicating, right? Then there's the mental side of things, like I just got six goals scored on me, I suck, you know? Um how to deal and kind of get through that. Um, and then there's the clearing portion. And you can really throw the clearing into two types. You know, it's actually throwing the ball and then understanding where the two-on-one is and how to kind of do that. So when you break it down, there's really six compartments that are really, you know, big things in themselves, much less all going on at the same time. So at the same time, Right? I wanted to teach all that. At the same time, you're totally right. That, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to get my body behind the ball. So when I have goalies that are struggling, you know, it's because they're thinking too much 90% of the time. It's like, I got to do this, and he's telling me that, and I got to do this. And, and then you really want to just be able to kind of reel them in and, 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 and break it down. So it's very complex what we do. At the same time, I'm a natural communicator, right? Like, it's all – I don't shut up and understanding as a coach's kid that I get defenses. You're saying I, the right things. I know exactly. And that's, that's the biggest thing. When I go to camps, I'm like, raise your hand. If, if your coach has told you that you need to communicate better and literally 98% of the kids raised their hand. So then I'm like, okay, let's, let's talk about some reasons why. And 98% of the time it's, I don't know what to say. You know, I don't, I don't know like what the to say. Your team vocabulary. Right. So there has to be a vocab sheet. You have to know, like, you know how many people, you know how many goalies that I've coached in the last 20 years that from ages 8 to 18 that didn't know what the word adjacent meant? You know what I mean? Like, they hear it a thousand times, right? Adjacent, 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 we're AJ, we're Army, <laughs> we're adjacent. And they're like, I have no clue what that means, you know? Like, so a big thing when I teach my camps is, so we break down the, your your flow, we call it, is how you save the ball. Um, 
But then what we do better, I think, than anybody else is, is that we put on films, and then when we rotate through our camp, you're actually watching, and I'm sitting in there, and I'm teaching you about lacrosse with a whiteboard and a TV with a game going on. And Listen to me here. Listen to what I'm saying. What does coma mean? What does hot mean? Who's two? What is a man-to-man? -man? What is an adjacent side? You know, like, how is Coach Resch's defense so much better than everybody else? Well, you know, you want adjacent and then increase to the next guy a lot. And, never, you know, but trying to explain that to a lot of kids, they're just blown away. You know, like, they don't really get it. So we try to take them as eight-year-olds and teach them all that stuff. So when they get into college and they go to Haverford and they go to LaSalle, they understand what a man-to-man -man defense is. They understand what topside means. They understand what the island is. They know what coma means. And to be honest, if you're a goalie in Oklahoma or Montana, there's not a chance, you know, there's a good chance that you won't know exactly what that is. So, you know, what we try to do teaching-wise is break it all down and then at the same time keep it simple for actually saving the ball. Like saving the ball requires three things, your hand, your eyes, and your feet, and that's it. And then what we do is we repeat those motions millions and millions of times. So saving the ball takes care of itself, and then we splash in clearing, right? We splash in lacrosse IQ, team defense. Um, such a big thing, and you're not gonna get every goal is not gonna be like me. They're not gonna bark out the instructions, but maybe you have a crease defenseman that'll do that, but at least you understand what's going on. Why are we sliding to his left hand and not his right hand? How do we overplay him this way? Maybe we'll just show adjacent so we don't have to go on their thing because the, the guy likes to pass on his dodges. Like all those things kind of come out to the course of the game. And that's a lot of that is the coach's kidding me. Yeah, that's we, would, we would do that at LaSalle. Take our goalie and like, who, what do we got here? Yeah. All right, we got a guy who can only save the ball. <laughs> so right. we're going to work from there. Your job is to save the ball. Nico won't shut up, so we're going to let him and talk. Nico Amato, you can <laughs> run whatever you'd like. You know? But one of the things that Coach Resch had done, and we mentioned this on one of the previous podcasts for communicating uh, at the high school level, was we go back and watch the film, and we would mute it and put the defense in there with the goalie, and he would say, all right, Nico, you're going to be the voice right now for one minute on the film. Everybody's quiet. Yep. So we run the film, and, and he, he's going to talk about it in front of all of his buddies. Next guy, you got yep. a minute. You're the crease defenseman. You do all the communicating. Use the vocab sheet. Use the words. You're watching it flow now. A lot of teams don't have a vocab sheet. You know, like, obviously, the more these days it is, but, you know, 10 years ago, excuse me, 10 years ago, I don't, I'm not sure 50% of the teams had a vocab sheet. You know, I would be getting ready. It's like, what's your vocab sheet? What does this show me? What's green? What's red? What's hot? The flip side now is with the guys playing so many teams and so many levels, they have too many words in their head. Too many words, so too many different to defenses. Them, we'd have to say we're, we are going to use the term over. Yeah. But my club team uses crossover. I'm like, it's the same difference. So <laughs> right. when you're with them, use crossover. When you're with us, use over. Right. It's good for your entire body of knowledge. And they just look at you and like, oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, fully agree. It's, it's tough, you know, with these kids playing so many, so many different teams now, but – Again, it, an over and a redirect, you know, there's little little differences in that, you know. Like, I try to put marks on the field to where, you know, box side is bingo. So, when you hear me yell bingo, you just throw the ball. There's a guy wide open at the box. The opposite of the box is Yahtzee. Why? Why not? Yahtzee. <laughs> you know, it's just a spot on the field. You, you, you hear me say Yahtzee, that means there's somebody wide open over there. That's good stuff. It's good to start to learn more about Net Nation and kind of the philosophies, curriculum, and – 
man, are those some lucky kids sitting down with you? And we've had some next goalies go. And I'm like, this is one of a kind. Like, you should make it. And whatever else you had on Sundays or whenever you guys do them, we're, we're pushing our guys there. I also am curious about um, the admin side of it and how you've built that up over the years. We're going to ask you about that later, though. For right now, putting your high school head coach hat back on, uh, being a guy that works on a private school campus, um, we talk about culture. Um, in each episode, uh, kind of directed to coaches. Um, you know, for us, we've thought about Maryland. What was that like being a part of it? What makes that special? And then part two would be the private school and what goes through your head on a daily basis, uh, starting and then running a program. Wow. I mean, you could probably have a whole segment about that question. Um, you know, starting at Maryland, it, the culture was be the best, right? That, that's what we broke our, our huddles down on and, and we thrived on if you were going out to the bar that night, you were going to be the best. If you were going to wake up in the morning and go to practice after going out to the bar that night, you were going to be the best. We were, you know, if you were going to play Duke that day, you were going to be the best. If you were going to, you know, have you, a math test, have a math test, you're going <laughs> to try your, to be the for best. Your <laughs> for your pops. <laughs> Um, so that was like, like we ate that kind of stuff up. It was be the best. The culture was just blue collar. I played for coach Adele, yeah. you know, another, just a, a giant presence, right? They call him the big man. That's what we would call him. Hey, hey, big man, what's up? And he's like, Hey doc, what's up? He's stinking, you know, and he'd curse at me a little bit. And then I'd be <laughs> like, you know what, you know, why don't you try to lose some weight? You know, and, and then we would get into it and that was in the locker room. But as soon as we got on the field, there was none of that. You know what I'm saying? So he did a great job of kind of um, talking to his boys, like like we could talk to him mm -hmm. off the field. Yeah. But on the field, it was it was it was all business. Um, it was two hours of all business. So that was it is in Maryland, and you know you're getting the best players. And he didn't recruit a ton of the um, players of the year in the interact or the you know he wanted the public school kid from. Severna Park that was 6'4 220 that would really wanted to like not only you know take the ball away from you but when he was, he was done he wanted to rip your heart out you know and we had a bunch of those dudes and we were built on defense at Maryland um, my whole career and then it has kind of gotten to the point to where offensively like starting my junior and senior year we started getting pretty good on offense and then obviously through Rambo and Coach Tillman and all those guys, we've become. But if you think about Maryland, the first thing you think about usually is their defensemen, right? Like, look at the MLL right now with the, the whip stakes defense or the PLL. And so that was our thing. We were blue collar, um, tough. You know, you don't like it. We don't care. Shut up and do it. You know what I mean? If you're going, you know, if you want to go out that night, go ahead. Have fun. We're at practice at 7 in the morning. And if you can't come in there and, and, and do what you're supposed to do, then there's going to be 42 dudes that are just going to be making fun of you the whole time to the point where you had to do it. And that's a big part of college. You know, I don't know so much anymore, but back in the 90s, you know, like going out and, and, and being able to manage those two different things was a, you know, it's a hard thing to do. Some schools can do it and some schools, you know, have a tough time. So that was kind of our Maryland culture and, yeah. you know, flipping it into a Springside Chestnut Hill you're, culture. You're grown up. Yeah. You're grown totally up. Role different. Now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, you know, you're dealing with kids that are generally well off that are, um, you know, they're great kids and they, and they work hard, but it's not so much, 
you know, I, I can't treat them like I would treat somebody at Maryland. Um, sure. Maybe I can. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. But it, it's something that I, I don't want. So, so culture to me is, is defined as what you do every day, right? So what do, what do I do every day at Springside Chestnut Hill? Is I make it a fun place to come to. And at the same time, I keep the business on the field for those two hours. Off the field, hey, I want to know what you're doing. I want to know how your mom is. I want to know, you know, um, how school's going, what your grades are like. You know, we're going to laugh at each other. We're going to break yeah. each other's stones a little bit. But on the field, right, after that, it is two hours of, let's go, you know, and being able to try to motivate uh, my guys. So uh, that's our culture at Chestnut Hill right now. Again, you know, it's my third year in, and one and a half years are crushed because of COVID. So it's kind of hard to see if that's, you know, the right way. But, you know, that's my philosophy. That's what I do. I'm, I'm, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to have fun. You know, I'm not going to be one of those guys that goes around with a miserable face all day and just like <laughs> yelling at everybody and you go do this and you do that. You know, like, no, I'll, if, if, if you're not having a great time, you yeah, won't be doing it. <laughs> exactly. I'm not doing it. I'll, I'll do something else. So, you know, at the same time, I want to win and I'm competitive. So I understand that we can't just all have a great time all the time. Right. Like we all want to have a great time, but we can't. So practice time comes yeah i'm gonna get up up your butt a little bit you know, i'm gonna tell you when you yeah. you're doing something right but i'm also being gonna be the first guy to give you a hug um after you do something correct so and your team, your team identity and your culture in in the years you still have ahead they'll grow kind of into your into your team in light of the school i remember we were trying to find that for years at LaSalle. yeah and again it was like coach rash and some assistants were like all right so when we go play haverford we're like the the poor guys but when we go and play some of the Catholic League, we're like the rich school. Right. So isn't the truth that maybe we got to actually be like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? So don't we have to kind of out Ridley Ridley, who me and you both have the greatest respect for and some Absolutely. early, I mean, just blue collar kids, played hard, was a dynasty in the 90s. And I remember going down and playing them and, you know, we got beat like four to two. Remember those games used to be four to one, four yeah. to two, and you feel like you got hammered. Right. And then the union horn would go off in the distance and it was like they were grabbing their lunch pails and the two captains with blood on their knees are moving the iron goals. Yep. And then I remember Coach Rush looking at me saying, we're doing something wrong. Like, we got to be able to out Ridley Ridley, and we got to be able to go out X and O, your little Towson ideas of X and O lacrosse when we play Calvert Hall. Yep. So depending on who we play, we got we got phase one, out Ridley Ridley, and we got phase two, out stick work somebody. I mean, you, you should know. You've done, you know, arguably one of the best jobs in the state, you know, 20 X, however many years, and taking a team that really didn't even have a team and, I'm sure you're kind of where I'm at, you know, after your fifth year or sixth year wondering, hey, how am I doing this right or how are we doing this? And it really takes time, you know, like very rarely is you're just going to go into a place like Springside Chestnut has no history. We didn't play lacrosse until 2010, you know, so it's very similar to, you know, not as, I don't think, unique, but as your situation back when you took over. But it's hard and it's like, okay, what do we want to do? We got, you know, I got to play Haverford and Malvern twice a year. You know, like those are tough. We got to go in there and I'm, I don't like getting my butt kicked. Um, so how are we going to figure that out? We stumped. My point is we stumbled into our identity. That's you know, what I need. Getting hammered I'm, looking, I'm looking for one. <laughs> <laughs> We'd stumble, we go down to Ridley and get hammered and, and coming from that on the bus ride is an identity. Like we got to be able to do that. And yeah, play it's, like it, that. it's a journey. So I, I think you can go in there with like, oh, this is going to be my culture. Right. But do you really know, like, how, how many times does that work out? How many times are you like, oh. Yeah, it was a good idea until you practice, yeah, right. this isn't working. Everybody's got a good game plan until you get punched <laughs> in the face. Mike yep. Tyson, you That's know right. what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I want to go in there and do this, and we're going to 
I'm going to blow the whistle and we're all going to run yeah. off the field and we're going to jog here. And then all of a sudden you go over there, just like you said, and you get your butt whooped and you're like, this isn't working. So we're still trying to find our, you know, our identity and hopefully we're doing the right things, but you know, we're going to do it by having fun every day and, and, and taking care of business on the field. It's good stuff. Cause you'll know it when it sticks. I need, I need know, to. When it sticks, you'll know it. You're like, that's our identity. <laughs> go right up in the locker room on the wall at that point. As soon as you got it. Yeah. I need it. All right, we're having a great time here with Coach Doc, uh, keeping it loose. We're going to move on to our guest roundtable section, fire some questions at him. Um, Coach, I would just start. Tell us about the Episcopal days in high school. Um, you know, those are some great days. That's really when lacrosse in, um, in Philadelphia really started to kind of get on the map. Um, so it's funny. So we, we played in four straight state championship games. I remember everyone like it was yesterday. Um, we were – you know, some of the best teams, our Episcopal teams, we were always 21 and 2, 19 and 3. Um, but, you know, there really wasn't a strong public school um, lacrosse back then. Yeah, we, they'd have one or two pretty good teams every once in a while. Hill School was okay. Um, but it was really just the interact teams playing each other twice during the season and then usually playing each other in the state championship. So my freshman year, we play Penn Charter. We beaten them twice in the regulation. We were ten and zero, and or eight and zero in the league, and we lose them in triple overtime. My right now, one of my best friends, John Mitchner, scored the the game winning goal in, wow. third, in the third overtime. Did I like to say hit fourteen different people on its way in there? Again, we lose seven to six. I have like twenty two saves. Unbelievable game. It was at Ridley, I believe. Um, and that was one of the games that kind of put everything on the map. It was back and forth. They had a goalie named Rich Dressler that went to Yale, who was excellent. Um, and it was really kind of a goalie's battle. Um, and, you know, unbelievable. We had a one-on-one at the last second. I had to make a one-on-one save as like three, two, one, you know, in a tie game in the state championship as a dude's running in from the restraining line on a failed clear one-on-one. And I make, a, you know, a great save only to lose. Sophomore year, we played GA in the finals. We crushed them both times, you know. And then this guy, Brian Harrington, who yeah. is now one of my best friends as well, we lose 6-5 to five in double overtime, and he scores five out of the six goals. And to this day, um, he's the reason, you know, that game is the reason he went to Loyola. Um, and I tell him that all the time. So, where he became a defenseman. Yeah, and then where they put a defenses. <laughs> but, and, you know, and that was a good game. That was at Harrington, you know, good crowds and everything. But the – I think the game that kind of changed everything for Pennsylvania lacrosse was us versus Springfield my junior year. Um, they had Tom Slate, Greg Campbell, RIP, God rest his soul, um, and a bunch of other great guys. And that was as Springfield going. But they were like the first really, really good public school team. So we were supposed to play early in the year, and, and, and the game got canceled for some reason, probably the weather. So they were undefeated, like 21-0, and we were 21-2 and with our only losses to, like, Calvert Hall and Boys Latin, you know, like teams that we – yeah, You guys we, went and played, really. We, we played those yeah. teams, but we were – you know, we weren't ready to play and beat yeah. those teams. Nobody from Pennsylvania. So it was this, like, collision course going, and we played at Marple Newtown High School, and it was like something out of a movie to where the, I think it held 5,000 people. There was probably 11,000 people at the game. Like, kids were, like, sneaking in, climbing over this – you know, over the fences, unbelievable game. Um, we lose by one um, in in that game. And that was really, you know, even though we lost, um, 
Oh, that was my senior. So junior year, we actually won. We beat Penn Charter. So I was now one and two in state championships. But the other goalie scored on me in the championship game. So that felt pretty bad about that. It was really my senior year. Okay, we're in the Springfield game. And, and that, was, that was the year, I think, that really changed everything to where now the public schools are getting good. The hype is good. It was like this, you know, the, pap- the, the papers, are, it was like something out of Hoosiers. You know, like, boom, there's this one team doing this. And here we are doing that. And then, you know, we were getting publicity. Um, and it was a great game. We ended up losing by one, um, you know, winning most of the game. But, you know, credit to those guys, and they, they still let me know about that all the time. So, you know, those are my four years in Episcopal. I would have to say, you know, we went 82 and 8, you know, in those four years without knowing the numbers off the top of my head. But, you know, most importantly, that sticks to my mind, only one in three in state championship games. So, A little side note about that night. That was my first year at LaSalle. I went to that game. Really? And I walked away, and you're right. It was Hoosiers-like. There were people everywhere. People were climbing the fences, and here I was, a 22-year-old head coach of a brand-new program. And I literally said when I got in the car to myself, we're going to be here one day. Yeah. Like, that was so wild, so inspirational, watching the high school kids be high school kids. Yep. And climb fences and cheer and the chance of going against Yeah, we had teams. student sections wild. going on. Like, literally the whole wow. school, of every, everybody, every single person was there from each school. And it was, you know, like, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was pandemonium. So from there, you get recruited to Maryland and other schools. Like, how did that all work out? So, you know, like Pennsylvania lacrosse still wasn't, you know, highly thought of back then, um, my senior year. So the, the way I went to Maryland is a great story. I, I, after my freshman year, we played in the state championship. So I've only played goalie for two years, right? Seventh grade, eighth grade, and ninth grade. So after ninth grade, Coach Wynn um, comes up to me and he's like, you know, we have a um, – you know, we have a scholarship, a free scholarship to go to any camp, you know, that, that you would want to. And I feel like you would be a good person to use it on. I'm like, sweet. He's like, which one do you want to go to? So I'm like, um, I don't know. I've never heard of it. There was, one by, back then, there was like six camps, you know what I mean? It wasn't like it is now. So I'm like, I don't know. How about Maryland? Maryland sounds pretty good, you know? Like, they, they're always in there. It's like the state sport down there. It's, good. it's two hours away. Let's check it out. So I go down, and I don't know anybody. There's 450 kids there, and I go down there and completely dominate. Um, you know, dominating boys' Latin kids, dominating St. Paul's kids, dominating everybody. And then I, I don't really hear from them at all until my senior year. So this is, you know, I didn't really start going on my recruiting trips. This is, again, 1992 um, until – basketball you know basically right after basketball season before lacrosse season so this is like february my senior year i'm still trying to figure out so i went up to hobart um flew up there freezing cold it was like no way can't do that um i went down to towson um really enjoyed a lot they just stuck me with like two guys on my recruiting trip that were just the worst hosts ever you know like total dorks um, they kind of just like left me wherever and just like, so I'm like, you know, pretty cool spot, but these guys are like horrible. Um, so my initial, what, what I wanted to do is I wanted to go to Penn and play basketball and lacrosse. That was my original goal. We had just sent, um, Eric Moore and Jerome Allen to, to Penn. Fran Dumphy was the head coach who was one of my dad's best friends. So I had every string possible going on to try to go there and, you know, Lucky or unluckily, I only got a 990 on my SAT. So I got waitlisted, and then eventually I, I didn't get in. 
And, you know, it's funny how those things add up. And then all of a sudden, you know, February, my senior year, I get a call from Maryland. You know, like, you know, we remember watching you play like three years ago at that camp. Um, we've been following you a little bit. Because then my, my first, you know, I didn't commit during that time, but our second game of the year was against um, Boys Latin at Boys Latin my senior year. So this has got to be like March 5th, right? Second game of the year. And we lose three to two. And again, we played zone the whole time. They had the ball 97% of the game. We couldn't even clear or run an offense. And I might have had 48 saves. And then all of a sudden, Coddle's calling me. Um, Maryland's calling me, right? Like all these people were there watching the game. And, you know, I, I remember going down to Maryland at, at their campus and Coach Adele really came and watched one of my basketball games that year as well. Um, you know, before that, my senior year, we played in a, in a Christmas tournament down in Maryland. He came up on a random Tuesday. I thought that was really cool. Um, and then what sold it for me is I went down there on a recruiting trip on a Sunday, and I watched Walt Williams and the Terps uh, play. I think it was like lethal. They called himself like Lethal Weapon 3. It was like <laughs> Stephon Marbury, <laughs> all those guys, you know what I mean? Um, Dennis Scott, those guys. And I'm a big hoops guy, so. I sat on the court, right? Dick Vitale's announcing the game. I, I went and talked to him at halftime because he, my, my dad, my dad got <laughs> him. Did. My dad got him his first job, you know, back at Seton Hall back wow. in the '70s. So it's just weird, and it's just like, and I came down, I left there, and I'm like, I'm going to Maryland, you know, like where do I sign? And then they did a home visit, which you know, back in the day, wasn't happening. My dad was so excited because he was trying to, you know, he was going to pay 35 grand a year to go to Penn. Whereas they come up and, and we're like, oh, maybe we'll get like 5,000 bucks or maybe we'll get 10,000. You know, we had no idea. It was just totally, you know, nobody played lacrosse. We didn't know how it worked. And Coach Adele sits in my living room. He's like, you know, we want you to be our guy. And, um, you know, we're going to offer you a full, um, a full tuition. And, you know, you're going to need to pay room and board. And we, we can give you books, too. And my dad's just like, and I'm like, I shook his hand right there. And I'm like, I'm, going, I'm coming to Maryland, Coach. So. You know, the rest is history. You, you wonder what would have been like if I went to Penn, um, both athletically and I'd probably be a better student. I can probably tell you that. Um, but it was just funny, funny how it all kind of works out. And that's what I tell kids these days. It's like everybody's freaking out now, right? If you're not in eighth grade and getting calls from Duke or North Carolina, you think you stink. I'm like, dude, these things have a way of working themselves out. You know, it, 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 you'll find the right school for you. And you know, I went down to Maryland, and the rest is history. And you played for a legend. I mean, big man, Dick Adele. A lot of people up here wouldn't know who the he greatest. was and who he is, but could you tell us a little bit about his story and his ending and what it was like to play for him? Just such a motivator, you know? Like, he was – he, you know, never had I had a coach before. Like, you know, he would – he would, you know, before you're going out in the tunnel and Thunderstruck comes on and Bird Stadium and, and, like, he's talking to you for, like, five minutes and you're literally ready to go out there and kill somebody you know like and i like everybody was like that and so at the same time he was just such a good and normal dude that i can go into his office and be like you know you know like big man i'm having some problems with this you know and he he's like a big teddy bear so you know eventually what happened is is um i guess right after i graduated he started having some health problems and then got diagnosed with a form of Lou Gehrig's disease, which basically meant his muscles were growing away from his bones. 
So his mind was sharp as a tack, and his body just um, every year would just get way worse. So he eventually got into a wheelchair and lost all use of his limbs and muscles and all that. But at the same time, um, he mentally, he was like sharp. So that was kind of like the best thing and the worst thing. So as you can imagine, like having your, your mind like being there, but literally having no use of your body. So, but at the end, it'd be like, hey, you doing, man? How's your mom? You know, how's, how's your grandma doing? You know, how's, 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 Aunt, Aunt, how's Aunt Cindy? You know, she's doing all right. She's still living in whatever. And like, you know, he didn't want to talk about himself at all. He didn't really have any pity for himself. He just, that was the best part about him. How's your dad doing? Hey, how's your mom? She's still doing that? How's her leg? You know, I knew her leg was bothering her last month. Is she doing any better? And, um, you know, so it was just a sad thing. He passed away a couple of years ago, um, you know, but he affected a lot of people. Thanks. I appreciate learning more about him. Um, my Maryland era started with kind of you in the short shorts running out of the goal and talking trash and, and all that. So we have a lot of young listeners. Um, and I wanted to ask you for just a quick history lesson on the MLL and the Major Lacrosse League, um, your involvement, and, you know, just kind of encapsulating that. So the MLL, you know, I graduated college in 1996. And from 1996 to 2000, um, there was no professional lacrosse. So I continued to play lacrosse for a club called Team Toyota, which um, we were pretty good. We had Paul Gate, Gary Gate, Casey Powell, Mark Millen, Tom Marachek, Dan Radeball, um, myself, and Quentin, the goal. It was literally like the who's who. But then all of a sudden you would play teams like Mount Washington, um, who had Rob Sheck and, you know, Lindsey Dixon and a ton of other dudes. Then you go up and play Long Island Lacrosse Club who had Sal Acasio, Pat McCabe um the low brothers you know so there was almost like a little i guess type of structure for pro lacrosse but we weren't getting paid like we would go play and then you know if we were lucky we'd go to the bar and have a bar tab afterwards and eat some wings and have some beers and yeah <laughs> and then go home you know so for those four years and then all of a sudden pro lacrosse started in 2001 they have a draft jake steinfeld comes in um with some money you know, we're paying, we're paying guys, you know, it was amazing. My first year I was making like $28,000 for the summer. You know, I was getting paid like two, over 2000 per game. So you would get paid every two weeks. So if you played three games in two weeks, I'd have $6,000. I'm like $6,000, dude. I've never had, you know, a lot of wings I've never beer. had $2,000 in my checking account ever. And all of a sudden I'm getting six grand every two weeks. Wow. So it was great. So that was the kind of the start of it. They had a draft. There was supposed to be a Philly team. The Philly team backed out. The way they kind of did it was they, had, they they protected three players per team, and then they had a draft. So um, it was myself. Um, no, I got drafted. It was Ryan Powell, John Grant, and I think myself, who were the Rochester guys. And then Long Island had Sal Acasio and then Casey Powell. And then you would go back and forth and draft guys. Um, to fill out the rosters and then it was cool you played on ESPN you got paid uh, you know back in the day some some places were good some not so good we were playing a lot of minor league baseball stadiums which was weird because some some places there'd be like a pitching mound right around <laughs> where the um yeah the restraining line should be so wasn't always glamorous it wasn't always glamorous but yeah. it was cool you were I mean two years before that I was playing for wings and now all of a sudden I'm playing in front of 8,000 people on ESPN you know getting paid so 
that was really the start of the league. And then, you know, um, I got to play 10 years in the league and took a break for a while. And now I'm, I'm kind of back in it, coaching with the Barrage that are back in the town. So that's pretty cool. How do you feel the game has grown? And, you know, how, how proud are you of that professional career and those games on TV? And yeah, I, I really think we, um, you know, when I sit back and reflect, I feel like I'm a pioneer. Um, not only of Philly lacrosse, you know, like that we already kind of got into back in the days, yeah. but, you know, me becoming the MVP of the Final Four set the tone. Then all of a sudden, Roy Simmons starts coming down here for recruiting. Bill Tierney yeah. is now coming down here. You know what I mean? So the, the, that's helping a lot of other guys. Same thing with Greg Trainer, Matt Oglesby, Buzza. You know, it's not just me. Um, but, you know, the old MLL guys, you know, like I was working on the stock exchange. I'll never forget that. And, uh, you know, the schedule came out, and I'm like, how many days off do I get? And they're like 12. And I'm like, I mean, I'm going to need like 36 to do this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I, I sat there, and I'm like, you know, I can be a stockbroker, you know, or I wasn't even a stockbroker. I was a clerk. I had no idea what I was doing down there, but it was fun. I had a job. I was, you know, 26 years old, 27. And then I was like, I could do this any time in my life. You know, like, I'm going to go take a shot and play lacrosse. So I ended up, you know, signing a, a deal with STX, um, you know, which was pretty good. That paid me um, for, for an endorsement deal. I was, you know, I was playing lacrosse. And then I, I, I kind of – I call it the, the hustle, the lacrosse hustle, where you're out there doing your private lessons and your, and your one-on-ones and your small groups and, you know, just try to make it work. One of the things I really respect about you, Coach, is you have some protégés, and there's not just all goalies. So when I think of somebody like Matt Rambo, you've really been a, a role model for him as a Philly guy, I think. And you talk about Nico Amato, and Mike and both LaSalle guys, but Nico, uh, he became your, like, young lacrosse version goalie. And there's been plenty of others, too, and we're all grateful for that. So could you talk a little bit about your role modeling of some of the uh, men, you know, who went on to be successful professionals and collegiate players and what they mean to you? Yeah, it's it's awesome to kind of reflect back and and and, and doing that, you know, like thinking about all the lives or people that you've hopefully um, mentored in a positive way and turned them on to the great game of lacrosse. Uh, so you got, you know, my first one was Drew Adams, um, you know, who was like a sophomore or junior at Springfield when I started um, kind of moving back to Philly and setting up my Net Nation stuff and. Um, you move on to Austin Cout, who I started teaching how to play as a sixth grader that, that went on to be um, an amazing player and a pro goalie. So last year, the last year of the MLL, I was looking at it, and um, there was nine teams, and three of the nine teams, 33% of the teams had a starting goalie that I basically taught how to play. And I think that's pretty cool, you know. So, um, so there's not only Nico, Austin, Drew, you know, there's guys like Matt Rambo that was on my – fifth fifth and sixth grade PYLA team um that we took Sean Coleman um kids that played for us you know back in the day you have the college goalies that I've kind of um you know at Hereford College we had a kid named Casey Peterson that was really did really well Joe Bano ended up playing in the in the professionals as a backup so you know the, the I've never really sat down and done I, I really kind of want to do that uh, like a full alumni list of of, of kids that so there's difference of, of kids that you've that have come to your camp, right? And there's difference of kids that you've really taught how to play. Like Nico, as, as a sixth grader, he would you know he he just switched from attack and never played goalie before. And I literally taught him how to play goalie. 
and to watch him go through the ranks, lead LaSalle to one state championship, two? Two state championships and two-time All-American. Two-time All-American, two state championships, and then talking to Coach, you know, Cottle about his scholarship and helping him kind of, you know, taking it from sixth grade to, like, here's a stick. Got to, real. To, you know, taking him through the ranks. Um, the dreams. Yeah, the the dream. dream was really cool, you know, so it was – it was really good. So I think I'm a good player, and, you know, I think our record kind of reflects that. But I, I really pride myself on trying to be a really good teacher and and being there for those guys just mentally and, like, having Matt right now as my assistant coach and being able to sit back and be like, dude, I remember when I was 25. It's <laughs> just, like, listening to his life, and you're just like, oh, my God. You know, like, hold on, where were you last week? And he's like, oh, I just went from the Bahamas to St. Croix up to Boston, and then I played golf at Congressional. <laughs> then I was down at the Masters, and then you're just like, what? <laughs> you know, I did the SBs, and then I came back and did all this. So, you know, being able to kind of experience and relive some of, some of that life through guys like him and, and all the Terps, you know, like that's what Coach Tillman does a great job of. So I'm down there um, three or four times a year. Um, just just help just helping out any way I can um you know just you know sitting there watching film or or, or going to a practice on the sideline and checking it out and and so that's the again the best part about being from Maryland is it's not only the people from Philly that you affect but it's like like I feel like I know Colin Heacock yeah like like I feel like he's a little brother to me yet I've only hung out with him like 10 or 15 times because I know exactly what he's going through um, I know exactly the type of kid that he is. I've watched him progress. I've been to a couple games and practices. And, you know, and that's just one example of some of the, you know, like Bryce Young. Uh, you know, again, not a dude I know very well, but if, if I see him, it's, it's a full-fledged bro hug, <laughs> you know, into, hey, what's up? How's everything going, you know? And these are t guys that are 25 years, uh, you know, separated from me. So it's been cool, again, again having all these guys and, and influencing some – you know, I was trying to do the the numbers before we came in here. I think we've probably had, you know, close to four or five thousand different goalies that have come through. You know, Net Nation, whether it's you know summer camp, winter camp, repeat guys, girls, whatever. So it's cool. To, it's cool. So the day that Maryland ends the curse and we see Matt out there and company, I see you on the sideline on TV, great happy as could be. Could yeah. you tell tell me more about that day? All right. So that's a great story. So. Um, you're getting all the good stories out of me. I, these are all going in my book that I haven't written yet. So maybe, maybe well, we you can get somebody. Well, you why I prepare so well, right? You ask me why I prepare. That's why. So you give you the been, good questions, Coach. It's been like 10 years in a row, right, for Maryland to where we're like I, – and I made it my goal, you know, since I never got to win one, I was like, I'm going to be there the next time Maryland win one. Right, so the next the next two years after I graduate, we get there and we get pummeled by Princeton, right? And then all of a sudden, Joe Walters' years, you know, they get down there. I'm down there. You know, we lose. There's always just some heart-wrenching story, you know, like there's an illegal stick or yeah, we get blown out stick. by some dude that nobody's ever heard of before. And we only score two goals versus Denver, and Loyola's undefeated, and they smack us that one year. So I get I keep going to all these places, and it's easy in Philly, right, and Baltimore, but – Going in New England is a little different of a story. So <laughs> I'm like, all right, it's, it's 2017. I'm like, I don't know if, um, if I'm going to do this. You know, like I've, I've been heartbroken too much. It's all the way in the thing. I'm going to wait until the semifinals come. And then if we win, you know, maybe I'll go up. Um, so 
we went, and before I'd always met people up there, I tailgated, had a couple drinks in there, you know, like did my thing. I'd end up walking out of the game miserable because I've had too many drinks and the Terps just, you know, completely crapped themselves. And it's somehow, some way, and it's just been a miserable experience. So for some reason that day, I'm like, listen, I, like I woke up at like 5.30 in the morning. I'm like, Meg, my wife, I'm like, I'm going to New England. I'm going to Boston today. And she's like, what? And I'm like, I just got to do it. You know, it was Monday, Memorial Day. So I wake up. I pay like $900 for a flight to, to Boston because it's literally two hours before I'm leaving. I take an Uber down there. I get on the plane. I go there. I take a cab from, from Boston to, to Gillette Stadium, which is like an hour and 20 minutes. So it's like a $200 cab ride. I get in there and I get to the parking lot. I don't, I don't hang out with anybody. Like I, I don't meet anybody. I just, I was like focused for some reason. And then, so I don't even have a ticket. <laughs> so I'm like, I call up my buddy, Chris Wojcik, who's the head coach at Harvard. He and I worked together at Penn and, and, um, the, they were the, they were putting on the final four. So if it's at Penn, the Drexel people and Penn people run it. If it's at Har if it's in New England, the Harvard people and maybe the BU people or something like that. So he's got this all access pass, which is like gold. It was basically, I could go and hang out in the locker room and, you know, do whatever I want. So. He's like, you know, he's like, I got a ticket for you. And I thought it was just going to be like a club box ticket. I was like, sweet, you know, I'll go watch the game up there. He like gives me a hug. He's like, man, I'm going to hang up in the club box with my family. Here's the all access pass. You know, you deserve it. And I'm like, all right. So I start walking down like the thing and nobody's allowed on the sidelines. It doesn't matter if you're Brian Doherty. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, you know, maybe Kip Falks because he owns Under Armour. But that was about it, you know, like. So I walked down there. Everybody's like, where are you going? Where are you going? It was right the turf section. I'm like, I'm going down there. They're like, you'll never get on the field. And I just, like, I'm showing my thing. Like, <laughs> I'm, like, going into, like, you know, some club in Vegas, you know, that, that Puff Daddy's playing for. I'm like, this, this. They open the rails for me. I walk down. It's right at this national anthem. All the guys are like that. Tillman looks at me, and he just smiles. And Rambo kind of, like, comes like this. And he looks at me. He goes, and he gives me, like, one of these. And he and I sat at the end of the bench, and I didn't say really one word, and I watched the game. And the game's over. Ohio State throws the ball, or we throw the ball the length of the field, like a big nine iron. Everybody rushes the goalie. I go out and get the, the game ball, um, which I still have, and have to give it to, to Coach Tillman with my all-access pass. I was cutting down the nets, you know, like – I was in the locker room after the game, you know, like <laughs> you were in college again. I, was, I was in college <laughs> regressing. <again. laughs> so that's that story. And I, I just remember there's a great picture of um, Matt and I with the, just giving him the biggest hug ever after the game. You can just, it's just total joy. He's so pumped. I'm so pumped, you know, like we finally did it. Cause you, it, it was so, you know, it was, it was like the Eagles finally winning the Super Bowl. you know, like how many times can you hear your New York giants friends go, you never won the Super Bowl. You never won the Super Bowl. You never won the national championship. You know, so it was a very gratifying moment. It felt like Philly won it with both you guys celebrating too. Yeah. So, and then the Eagles won it that year too. So it was a good year. Your stories are great, Coach. Thank you. We're thrilled to have you, and we're going to bring us to an end with our rapid fire section. Let's go! So quick homework for three different groups. I'll lead you in. You just give us a quick answer for each group. Hit me. All right. So. What homework do you have for players who are listening? Players who are listening, I, I want you guys to just remember that um, everybody does it, right, for two hours at practice. 
in a club practice. It's the work that you do when no one's watching that's going to separate you from everybody else. For parents who are listening. Uh, parents, I mean, sometimes you got you got to be honest. Sometimes you, you're the worst. You, and you have to understand that who you are. And if you're one of those people, you have to stop being that person. So just understand that I've coached at every level of division, division one, two, and three. And there's plenty of kids I didn't recruit solely because of their parents. And at the same time, there's a lot of great parents out there. Continue to kind of do what you're doing. But my homework for you guys is at the end of a game or a tournament, just give your kid a hug in the car and tell him you're proud of him and ask him if he had fun. You know, like, don't get into, like, oh, what were you doing on that X behind set and how come you shot it? You know, like, give the kid a hug, tell him you're proud of him, and then ask him if you had fun. Nice advice. Love to watch you play. <laughs> yes, you love watching you play. Coach's homework for coaches who are listening. You know, hey, I don't know if I'm qualified to give out coaches homework. You know, I feel like I'm struggling through this just like everybody else. But, you know, my biggest thing that I've learned from a lot of the coaches is be prepared, right? So whether it's a game, whether it's a practice, have an idea. What am I doing? Are we playing zone that week? How many minutes am I practicing zone? What kind of looks am I getting versus that zone? How many hours are we practicing? How much are we focusing on our clearing or riding? Or, you know, just be prepared. Have a game plan. I'm not saying I always have the best game plan, but I have a game plan every time. Sometimes it doesn't work, and we lose by 10 goals just like everybody else. But we went through the week practicing a certain way to play a certain style against a certain team. So be prepared. And lastly, what are you reading or listening to these days? Whew, I'm going to be listening to the NXT podcast from now <laughs> on. I can tell you that. Um, but I'm actually reading some stuff from uh, John Gordon. I don't know if you guys um, are aware. I'm sure you are. Um, but he's got some really good books about teamwork. I feel like that's something that I struggle with is, um, you know, bringing a team together. Not struggle, but I can always get better at. And uh, a couple of his things, the energy boss is really great. It's, it's um, you know, are you an en energy vamp or faucet or are you an energy drain? So basically, are you just sucking all the energy out of out of the team or are you – you know, turning the faucet and giving as much energy to your team as possible. So those are great things to think about as a player is what kind of guy are you? Are you sucking the life out of everybody or are you the one kind of giving energy to everybody? That's a pretty awesome final message there uh, from one of the greatest of all time. So just wanted to thank Brian for a tremendous episode here uh, to hear your journey from uh, starting to play goalie, figuring it out for yourself. Um, and then all the way through Episcopal, Maryland, the pro career, U.S., um, and continued awesome coaching career. Um, this was a special episode for both of us. We really appreciate your time. I wanted to sign off tonight. Uh, we'll thank our producer, Justin, um, for Coach Leahy, Coach Doherty. Uh, we're signing off from Concha Hawkins. Thanks for listening. Wow. We could go one, all night. One take, Doc. Keep the mic on. <laughs>